0: Life happens with Pinelo Motinne. Pinelo Motinne on S A F M. Six minutes after two, good afternoon to you, thank you very much for staying with us. My name is Pimelo Modena on Life Happens right here on SAFM. So I am going to be introducing new features to the show as we go along and you'll understand why. And today I want to introduce you to a feature which we'll call Her Story. And this is a feature that I would like us to to focus and really, really go very deep um into the lives of women who've shaped us in this country in this continent who we hardly ever remember who have done amazing amazing things who've broken down doors for us who've really done a lot for us as a people for our heritage for our culture for our history and so on and just sometimes have not gotten the time of day. So today I am delighted to highlight somebody who I think we owe immense immensely Um, to our literature, to the history of our literature in this country. This is a woman who who gave up a lot. This is a woman whose writings got her into a lot of trouble. This is a woman who was kicked and beaten and so on by the police in this country, the very brutal apartheid police, because whatever she was writing, they didn't like, right? They, uh, from my understanding, didn't arrest her, but they did harass her quite a lot. Uh, And so I wanted us to highlight her. Who am I talking about? I'm speaking about... um, Maryam Ladi, who is uh, a writer, who was a writer, who was uh, an educator, who was a feminist, who was a lot of wonderful things. And to help me unpack this wonderful woman is someone who I also respect quite a bit, who is English Literature uh, Professor at UCT, Dr. Barbara Boswell, who's joining me now on the line from Cape Town. And thank you so much for making the time to talk to us this afternoon. But I do think you're delighted to speak about somebody who I think you're quite fond of. Hi.
1: Hi, Tomella. I'm always very happy to speak to you. (laughs) Um, I've had some wonderful conversations with you in the past and also about mm-hmm. Miriam Chadi, who mm-hmm. is someone whose work I greatly admire and respect mm-hmm. and also write about.
0: So, so, you know, her history is complex in the sense that it's easy, right, to talk to us, uh, to talk about her as a writer. That's easy. That's, that's obvious bit. But, there is another thing about her that we don't you know, attribute a lot to her. That's her feminism, her, her right. activism as a gender activist. At that time, I think even as a black society, we were willing to accept the fact that she was dealing with racism, but very few of us were willing to go into her activism as a woman. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I mean, Manpladi um, saw herself as someone who was using the... Tool of the pen as the main weapon against apartheid. Um, and when she started writing, when she published in 1975 her first novel, Muriel at Metropolitan, um, the main enemy, the main um, context that she was addressing was the apartheid state and the labor um, policies of apartheid. Um, but then in her subsequent novels, we saw, see a kind of broadening of the fronts that she's fighting on, and she's definitely tackling um, in her second novel, for example, Amandla, um, gender violence, mm. um, sexism, discrimination in student movements. And by her third um, set of writings, um, Soweto Stories, which came out in 1989, um, she's full on addressing um, themes like sexual violence, um, sexual assault um, by black men of black women. Mm. Um, and so we see a kind of trajectory of a feminism um, growing from firstly addressing the apartheid state and how they position black women, African women specifically, to the different intersecting oppressions that African women face in South Africa during apartheid
0: fascinating look into a woman that I think we don't celebrate enough and her name is Miriam Clady and uh, we want to just go into her story we'll be doing this all the way until 1 uh, I beg your pardon 2.30 and I do want you to give us a call if you you've ever read her books if you have encountered a literature maybe at school or whatever 89 as we continue our conversation with Dr. Barbara Burswell, who is a professor at, uh, at the UCT a professor of English and literature Life, life happens with Pimelo Moutine. Eleven minutes after two, right here on Life Happens on SAFM. My name is Pamela Mottini. We're going into her story, which is a new feature that we've introduced onto the show. And we are looking into the lives of really interesting women that we've never highlighted as much as we should. Miriam Tladi is a novelist who was also uh, really a critical writer. She wrote lots of different things and a gender activist as well. So, Barbara, when when you spoke to her, and I believe you spoke to her, um, I think, I don't know, when. Was it the, the the late 90s I'm not sure when you when you last had an interview in the with 2000s her. in the yeah. 2000s mm-hmm. and and when you spoke to her and her reflection of the time I know that there were lots of lots of things that she did to help us break down barriers so when she did publish her first book first of all the name was not what she wanted on the cover what was the name that she would have wished the cover to be the, the name of the book to be yeah, she wanted it to be called Between
1: Two Worlds and she did actually have it republished later on in her life as under that title. But because um black women's writing generally, um, during the apartheid era was seen as biography or autobiography, they weren't seen as or we weren't seen as capable of producing fiction. Um she the, the the publisher first wanted to call it Miriam at the Metropolitan and when she refused they said Muriel and that's then how this the book uh. got its name. She was unhappy with that name because she wanted the name between two worlds. Mm. Um, this was the first thing that really irked her about the publishing process. Mm. Um, the second thing was that five chapters mm. were cut out by the publisher Rabin Press, um, ostensibly to avoid it being banned. So the most subversive Um, chapters were taken out of the novel which also made her very unhappy and she spoke in interviews she's a very um, much interviewed writer she spoke about how that affected her and how dissatisfied and unhappy she was
0: with the treatment of the book at that point. I mean she spoke about how she went back home and really wept and cried and cried and so on the book though ended up being banned either way.
1: Right, right. Um, it was banned by the apartheid state because it really um, is such a scathing indictment on apartheid and the way in which it treated um, African people and especially African women at the time. So in it. Um, It's a labor uh, sketch, really, of what apartheid labor policy meant um, in the day-to-day world of people who had to work under it. And so in that, Tladi looks at the past laws, the effects of the past laws, the kinds of humiliations that a woman like Muriel faced in the workplace. For example, there was a toilet for white women Mm. and a toilet for black men, Mm. and nowhere where Muriel could go to the toilet because she wasn't a black man or a white woman and the white woman wouldn't allow her to use the toilet. So those kinds of things, the daily humiliations of what we um, strangely call petty apartheid but really um, had
0: the effect of completely dehumanizing people In the implementation, I mean, the the petit apartheid you speak of is one of the reasons I think she got a lot of attention overseas. Where she spoke of this daily living, this this inconvenient apartheid uh, living, uh, you know, moving between buses where you can't sit on a bench, where you can sit on a bench, you know, what kind of who should be sitting where and so on. Uh, But she was quite celebrated overseas. I mean, even at that time when when we were grappling with who she was, um, she was picked up very very quickly. After that novel?
1: Um, yes, she was celebrated overseas. And in fact, um, there are over 45 different um, imprints of her novel globally. It was published or translated into Japanese, German, um, I think Dutch also and um she was quite fated abroad for it and received many invitations to work abroad um based on that novel in order to help her um publish more work mm-hmm. um and so uh, we sadly so don't know about her in this country we didn't know it during apartheid because of the bannings of her work um she worked under extremely stressful conditions she had to bury it's well known she had to bury her manuscripts mm-hmm. in the backyard um, she was arrested, in fact, um, on her way to uh, Steve Biko's funeral in the Eastern Cape, and writes about that in her journalism. She was also a journalist. Mm. Um, so this was an author who paid a very high price for speaking the truth for rendering in fiction and in journalism um the reality the brutal reality of apartheid and as you mentioned she was also an activist a literary activist um she was one of the founder members of staff rider magazine Mm -hmm. which was a literary magazine um, during the 80s which became a vehicle for black literature Um, which couldn't be published elsewhere. So she was also very invested in having other women come into their own voice and be able to
0: articulate in writing, publish their own work. Mm. The critique on her writing style, now I'm speaking to you as a lecturer of English literature, Mm -hmm. I think for me was unfair. Where do you think that came from, of it being too descriptive?
1: Okay, um... You know, there were critics well the 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 best known one is Lewis Nicosi, um who described her and Loretta Noble's work as journalism masquerading as fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, it's I, I think it is a very um unfair critique of the work, um, because it doesn't read the work on its own terms. And later in the nineteen in I think nineteen eighty four or nineteen eighty six Um, Jaboulun de Bele, the very esteemed literary critic and also fiction writer, would um, call for a return to the ordinary, saying that the black writer's imagination has almost been colonized by the spectacle of apartheid, and that black writers, this is in the mid-80s, should return to themes of the ordinary, relationships in the home, and um, this doesn't take into account that writers like Claudi were doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, she was writing about the ordinary, and it's quite a sexist critique also because the world of women's social relations, of women's gender relations, of women's labor relations was not. These worlds weren't deemed as really exciting enough or interesting enough to sustain a whole entire novel. And so um, those were the critiques initially, but since then people have been reassessing the work of Mom Plady, and there's actually so much rich insight. There are especially feminist critics have been looking at her work um, from the late 80s through the 90s onwards um, and really um, celebrating it and saying, "Wow, this is such a rich and textured work which gives us Insights into the daily lives of people, the domestic, um, which 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 is also important realms for us to understand these these spaces that are not masculine spaces, the spaces of politics, the spaces is- of men who are considered heroes.
0: Is the elephant in the room here something along the lines of, Barbara, it was okay to have male Africans write the way they wanted to write and how they perceived the system? And this constant policing of a woman who, in their terms, was also writing about stuff that was uncomfortable, about their brutality to their own woman, is that not perhaps where the elephant of the room is?
1: Um, no, I don't know that that was the critique. I mean, I think, I you know, I really don't know. I, the, the most well-known critic was Lewis and who himself is a very esteemed writer. Mm. Um, he had an aesthetic problem. I don't mm. think he really had any issues with the political... Co- well, he did have an issue with the political content. But in her earlier work, mm-hmm. um, she doesn't really address... Male violence and male sexism. It is only in 1980, you know, where she starts to um, articulate a black consciousness critique of the Soweto uprising. And she's considered she's one of the only um, women writers who is considered a black consciousness fiction writer. Um, so I don't think that that's really the, the critique. Nkosi um, was very much invested in aesthetics, and you know had this binary between the political and the aesthetic, mm-hmm. um, and he placed her uh, firmly on one end mm-hmm. and, and, and couldn't see the work as having aesthetic value. Mm-hmm. Um, so really that was the, okay. the, the main criticism, I think, in my view.
0: The The interaction between the police, the state police, and, and the I mean she was relentless but I, I can only imagine as somebody who was constantly assessed, someone who was constantly visited by the police, what what kind of impact was that? I know it was traumatic for all of us but she, she was steadfast in mm-hmm. continuing her work. Um, did she talk much to you when you spoke to her about what that meant for her? Did she ever think of giving up writing? She never. She
1: said it actually made her more resistant and more determined to write. She said because she was being harassed, she just took strength from that and actually took that as fuel um, for... fueling her writing Mm endeavours so there was a constant threat there was intimidation and special branch coming Mm -hmm. to a house, evading a house tearing up a manuscript, confiscating stuff and this was before the day of the cloud Mm
0: -hmm. and the
1: you know, the internet where you could (laughs) back up your stuff, it's like if they took your manuscript, that was it Um, She told me a story once of returning from the United States with a manuscript in her bag Mm. and landing then at Johannesburg International Airport um, and um, actually giving the manuscript to Americans who were on the plane to take it off, knowing that they would be exempt from certain scrutiny because she knew as she was, um, disembarking from that flight mm-hmm. that the police would be waiting there for mm-hmm. her to go through her stuff. Uh, do we know um, when she,
0: she got that from the embassy? How long did she have to wait before she got that uh, manuscript? I don't know, but so the, the American
1: took it to the embassy and then she you know, arranged sometime later to get it. Um, there are also um, quite a few, two at least that I know of, lost manuscripts mm-hmm. um, that Mum uh, died before she completed them. One is for her biography Mm-hmm. Um, th- that one she didn't complete, but the other was a novel that was completed, and someone, um, in her words, stole it sure. and never returned it. Sure. And you know that 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 um, manuscript for her uh, uh, another novel, her fourth, her third novel, um, is still missing. And she was extremely, extremely upset about it, as you can
0: imagine. B- Barbara, would so. Do we would yes. we be able to see it when someone did publish it? Would would we be able to identify that that would be her work? How difficult would it be? Um, I don't I think <laughs> I mean, how much I did she let on? I It's a difficult one. How much did she let on? The work on to work on
1: Maryam Tlaadi's work. And, you know, people like myself and Pumla Dineo Tola... Um, you know, Pumla Denley Gola is uh, the, the expert, really, and 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 um, you know, I think one would be able to make that assessment. And in fact, she has actually, you know, in the letter that
0: she wrote to me, she she named the mm. name of yeah, the I'm manuscript. Sure. I'm sure. I'm um, sure. We're not going to do that. <laughs> yes, no. Uh, oh, the name of the manuscript. Yeah, of okay. the novel,
1: okay. and, and also she, she told me about these projects, yep. um, the, the manuscript for the novel and the autobiography, which she was in progress with. Um, I'm not sure how far she got with that um, autobiography in progress, mm. but I imagine that there is a rich, you know, legacy um, there that, of work that is still waiting to be discovered that wasn't published
0: so we can forgive those who, who are not avid readers and say, well, okay, there's that. But but how do you place the fact that we haven't even credited her for inclusion of women's rights in our constitution? How do we make sense of that? Um, you know, it's not
1: surprising to me as a, a feminist scholar and a scholar of gender studies because women get written out of history all the time. Um, it's just part of how... Patriarchal and our current political systems work. So, unless we make really concerted efforts to write these histories, um, people will be excluded, women will be forgotten. And in fact, something that irks me very much, it makes me very angry, is that all of her published books are out of print. Yes. Um, You cannot buy them in South Africa. Mm. And if you do trace them Mm. in Mm-hmm. either the UK mm-hmm. or the United States, you, you will pay, pay hundreds mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. dollars mm-hmm. or pounds for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we should have access to these books. These are books that are very accessible, that are ideal, actually, for students to be reading in high school. Um, and, the, the, you know, they are just not available. And this is part of our cultural heritage, our political heritage, our feminist heritage, that we really should have access to, um, but we don't, and it's um, frustrating. Um, I teach some of her work um, at university. Um, it really is a huge frustration that we can't get to a wider audience because the work is out of print.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's a complicated conversation around publishing and and, and who sits with those rights and so on. I mean, do we know if, if there are talks to to republish those works and who those rights know. are sitting with?
1: I I, I don't know. I can't
0: really say anything about that. Listen, it's been wonderful talking to you because we are talking about somebody who we are very fond of. As we reflect um, on her life, as as somebody who is um, an avid literature teacher, what what do we take away from the the really rich history that she's given us and heritage as you said you know we we're still unpacking some more we haven't we're not done yet with her but what what have you taken from studying her so closely
1: oh my gosh personally and professionally she has given me so much she encouraged me Um, she wrote to me she was a guiding light in my life Um, as a scholar and also as a fiction writer she inspired me to write fiction Um, I think there are lots there's lots and lots that we can learn from her in political struggle she never gave up she articulated a feminist voice um, she was about women really empowering themselves and becoming active and becoming politically active and getting their voice and writing their words and that 's what she lived for um, to enable other women to do that also so this is these are all lessons that we can take from her. She was an amazing activist and writer um the two roles overlapped for her they were the same thing Mm. and we can really take courage from her resistance and her unflappable spirit she just never gave up
0: Do, do you ever think Barbara about how we popularize figures like Miriam is that something that preoccupies your mind Um, Well, I'm an academic, so not really.
1: I don't, I mean, I tweet about her, but (laughs) that's my one little attempt. And I, you know, a lot of people, more and more people are starting to write about her and more and more graduate students are doing theses on her and so on. But I don't know, the Google Doodle was was a very touching tribute. Um, And maybe maybe we need a comic book. I don't know how she would feel about that. I'm reluctant to say it, but, you know... Maybe children's books about her, but just getting her into the consciousness of people as a real South African um, giant who opened so many doors for us as as Africans, as women. Um, She really was an amazing fighter who a lot of other people's work wouldn't have come into fruition if she hadn't made that path.
0: When you say, I mean, I know a lot of the work that she's done is not accessible. Is there anything that you know that is that is, is, on, is in print at the moment that's accessible? I do not know of
1: anything because I try to teach her work mm. and can never find sure. anything. So I do sometimes photocopy the short stories and so on. Yeah. But um, other than that, um, you know, the libraries do have a work still. Um, or public libraries, many of them should have copies of her books. Um, so so that's where we can locate her. And maybe if someone has a lot of funds, hey, um, throw some money into yep. maybe um, digitizing this work and getting it back into print, please. I don't know really the legalities of it, mm-hmm. but there are... Um, ways in which um, I'm sure this can be done. I'm not a publisher, yeah. and I don't know yeah. where the rights are at this point, who, who owns
0: them. Yeah. Thank um, you so much for yeah. your time. Really, really appreciate the time you've taken for us to unpack her story. And we are looking into the life of Miriam Tladi, Dr. Barbara Waswell, who's Associate Professor of English and Literature at UCT. Really appreciate your time. 2.30 now. Let's get the very latest in headlines with Utsile Sako.